Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll just say, like, I was pretty depressed back in Boston. And I will say, like, <laughs> it was almost like on the plane, I felt a shift happen. And then when I landed, I just, it was like kind of felt like, I mean, it sounds cheesy, but sort of land of opportunities where I was like, and, and things just kind of fell into place so easily. That was Derek Cosper. I'm Jeff, and this is Storied San Francisco. Every week on this podcast, you'll hear from comedians, photographers, journalists, and San Franciscans from all walks of life, telling stories, sharing personal histories, and trying to put into words what makes this city so special. Welcome to episode 47, part one. Dara's journey to San Francisco from her hometown of Cambridge, Massachusetts is a meandering one. These days, Dara is the program manager of Reimagine End of Life, which we'll talk about in a second. In this podcast, she'll chart the journey for us, and she leaves us with the highlight of her homecoming to San Francisco from Costa Rica. So Reimagine End of Life, which Dara talks about in this episode, and she'll speak more to it on Thursday in part two, is a 10-day community-driven exploration of death and the celebration of life through creativity and conversation. We here at Storied San Francisco are taking part in the festival again this year with an exhibit that asks the question, is San Francisco dying? Visitors will be able to listen to and see photographs of 20 past podcast guests. We're also inviting you to share some of your favorite San Francisco memories on a five foot by five foot map of the city. The exhibit will be up at the Laundry on 26th Street in the Mission from this Friday, October 25th through November 3rd. And now, without further ado, here's Dara. Well, it's funny because I think coming out of college, I I describe myself as an artist. Um, and then I became a teacher. Um, and Jane of all trades. Yeah. And so, and I think in, in general, I... I I think because I start feeling constrained mm-hmm. when I get like a title in some way or pressure in another way. Right. Like it's, you know, by saying like, I'm a comedian, if that's the only thing that I am, it puts more pressure on it. But it also kind of constrains like what I'm about too. Right. Because maybe you're just Derek Hosberg. So you're not, you're not from San Francisco. No. I Where are you from? T- tell us a little bit about your... You've lived a, you lived around a couple places, right? Yeah. Before you came here. Um, I grew up in Cambridge, Massachusetts, um, and lived there until I went to college in D.C. And then I lived in New Orleans for a couple years, where I did Teach for America, um, and then moved back to Boston for a year before I came out to the Bay. Um, it's pretty much the anniversary of my. Um, move here 16 years ago congratulations yeah (laughs) you're moving here can drive a car legally now yes yes that is actually yeah no it's funny actually you just made my car um that i had forever um died after i had it for 16 years i mean but it was a it was 20 years in total because i got it used but anyways not did this just happen no, oh. that happened like three years ago. But okay. yeah, but we're but you're like right now is the 16th ish anniversary of. Okay, congratulations. Yeah. Well, so why did you come to the Bay Area? Like, what was it about here 
that drew you out? So I think in college was the first time I sort of learned about San Francisco in like a way. And I, I had this kind of romantic idea about it. Um, and past tense had, I, I mean, it's still here, but I, I'm just talking. Yeah. I mean, I think, and actually, so my best friend in college, my, my roommate, um, she also applied to teach for America and we had to place all of the, um, the order of preference for where we'd like to live. Um, and, uh, the Bay area was both our number one choice. What kind of things like when you, when you were, I guess, researching, like mm-hmm. what, what kind of things were you learning about life here that, that made it the top of your list? I mean, I, I'm going to sound like kind of superficial. I think there was something about the photos of it and the, I, I think I had this idea that it was kind of like quirky and artsy and open. Um, and I think, um, when I decided to move here, um, uh, you know, two of my good friends lived out here at the time. And, um, I think after moving back to Boston, after living in new Orleans, like the culture just was not a fit for me. Uh, it's like going from a, well, let's be literal with the analogy. It's like going from like a, a bowl of gumbo to a slice of white bread. Cold white bread. Um, no, but I was going to ask because I think there's kind of a connection, some sort of, I don't know, maybe spiritual or unspoken connection between New Orleans and San Francisco. So you had that New Orleans experience, especially, I'm going to say, compared to Cambridge and and D.C. Well, there, I mean, there was a warmth. Little- yeah. I, th- I think D.C. never felt like home to me. Um, like I had a fine time there, but it wasn't, I never felt like when I got off the plane, I was coming home. DC is um. complicated. It's a lot, right? Yes. But it's, and it's, it's like, it's got a little bit of funkiness, but it's, I don't think of it as a funky No, place. and I think it's gotten cooler since I was back, you know, back in the day. But, um, yeah, I think like the connection that I see between New Orleans and San Francisco, um, I think in some ways the warmth of the people, like I think people are warmer in New Orleans, but you know, I talk to people all the time, like random strangers here. And for the most part, people are pretty open and I end up getting into random conversations and that would happen like all the time in San Fr- in New Orleans. Um, but I also think, I mean, especially like when I first moved back here or moved here in like 2003, there was this sort of open acceptance of people in in a way that I didn't feel judged or like in in a certain way. Like I, I felt pretty welcomed, um, and kind of that my sort of uniqueness, whatever it may be, was like celebrated or accepted. Um, whereas in Boston, it wasn't. I mean, it's funny. I had a lot of friends from all different parts of my life who I like, loved, and it wasn't like I was an outsider moving there. Um, but I think the sort of just day to day, like joys of life, I wasn't finding as much. And and part of it was honestly the weather was like after living in New Orleans, I just could not take the cold. Um, were you do- what were you doing in Boston? Um, work or extracurricular? Um, I mean, that was, I was trying to kind of figure stuff out. So I had all these random jobs. Like I, I mean, I was like interning with this filmmaker on a, a, 
a movie, um, a documentary about a, a school and like creating a discussion guide for it. I was working at a children's bookstore. I ended up working part-time for these real estate agents. That was like pretty painful. Um, yeah, I was kind of, you know, I, and back then, like, I, even though it was hard to get into Teach for America because Teach for America wasn't in Boston, um, it didn't have the certain cachet that it had later on um, in that I think people just saw me as a teacher. Um, and I actually did become um, a photography teacher for middle school students. Um, which, be, back east? Yeah, or, okay. yeah, which was fun. But. So, um, so now you're trying to figure out, like, you're like, Boston's not cutting it. Bay Area makes, you said Bay Area. Oh, I'm San quoting, Francisco. It was San Francisco San specifically. Francisco, yeah. So um, had you visited yet at that point? I had visited, so the summer before, um, I'm or two summers before, I had, because my uh, good friend from college who had done Teach for America got placed in the Bay Area, we did a three-week like road trip. that I, So I like flew out here. Um, yeah, and I just, I mean, it, it was really good. And then actually one of my very good friends from Teach for America ended up living out here. And he was the one, I like called him like on my um, 25th birthday and I was like pretty miserable in Boston. And he's like, I really think it's time you just came here. And I, so like a month later I flew out and it was supposed to just be like a two week kind of stay to check it out. And I started networking for jobs and um, stayed a little bit longer and got a job very soon at um, an art and music school, um, running art programs for kids. Um, and I flew home, packed up my stuff, and then moved, like, officially, like, a week later. So besides the practical stuff, like, yeah. the friends being here and, um, and and the fact that you were able to find a job right away, what else about it made it feel like the right fit? You, you, you talked a little bit about the acceptance. Yeah. But, like, what other kind of um, impressions did you have? Well, and, and, and it was a little bit different of a city back then, let's be honest. Yeah. It was a little bit different. Yeah, um, I mean, I'll just say, like, I was pretty depressed back in Boston, and I will say, like, <laughs> it was almost like on the plane, I felt a shift happen, and then when I landed, I just, it was like, kind of felt like, I mean, it sounds cheesy, but sort of land of opportunities, where I was like, and, and things just kind of fell into place so easily, so there was this kind of feeling that the universe was kind of working for this. And I think that that helped me like kind of step into it. Um, you know, I think I, you know, it's subletted from these like three girls. Um, my first uh, couple months, one was like um, a preschool teacher by day and stripper by night. And, um, and then another one was like a model. And the other one was like a sound engineer. And it was like, I kind of stepped into this like world. That was the first time I, I saw cocaine, um, which I actually ran out of the house <laughs> seeing because I thought it was like a bad after school special. Did that you I, slam the door and the coke went flying? Well, no, I just I just turned around because they like I walked in and they were with a bunch of people and they were like, do, do you want to do a line? And I was like, no, no, thank you. And I just turned around and ran out of the house and was gone for like three hours because yeah. I really just like in my head, I thought that that was the beginning of you know, an after school special where like this was the beginning of my drug addiction. And so um, when I, when I came, came back, they were like, are, are you okay? 
<laughs> and I was like, yeah, they're like, we won't do that here anymore. Don't like they felt so oh, wow. bad because I was, I, I, I mean, I didn't say anything. I just must have visibly. Yeah. But, but what was really funny actually was the, the model was from the Bay Area and she was very kind of pretty crunchy and like into or all organic foods mm-hmm. and everything, but like also doing like heart drugs and mm-hmm. all this stuff. And, and modeling. And modeling. Mm-hmm. And she one time sat me down and was like, Dara, I'm concerned about you. Um, I've just noticed that you've been eating a lot of processed foods. Because, <laughs> you know, I had like Prego or something. Right. How dare you? And <laughs> I just, I felt like that was, yeah. But, um, but yeah, and I remember I got my first, um, what is the incense, um, oh God, uh, the essential oils where you burn them. What is that called? Essential oils. No? Yeah, and like you, you know, you um, light a candle under them. Oh. Anyways, I, but I got that, I, I bought that at like the Scarlet Sage, like down the street. And I was like, okay, I'm. I'm a San Franciscan now. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That I mean, that mix, like you're talking about uh, teacher, stripper, granola model uh-huh. who does cocaine and likes non-processed foods. Like that's, <laughs> that's, that's like part, that's like one or a couple stripes of the rainbow that mm-hmm. this place at least used to be, might still be a little bit. We'll get into that later, but um, wow. So that's like, welcome to San Francisco, Dara. Yes, it yeah. really was. And actually there was the other thing that just felt kind of like special. So when I actually moved into their apartment, it was on... Yeah, where, where was that? Um, right at 22nd in Guerrero. Okay. Which then years later, I ended up living on the other side of the house in another house um, right on the other corner. Um, but uh, it was Halloween night. And um, the next morning I walked out and there were ruby slippers that had been left outside the door that from somebody's costume that fit me. I mean, they were like, and so I took them, I wore them for years. And it, but it always was like that sort of idea of like, there's no place like home. And like, it felt like, I, I don't know, it just, yeah. But she, she used the ruby slippers to get home. Get home. You found your home and then found the slippers. Yeah. But it also made me feel... Like Doctor Who or something. Jesus. Well, I think it was also this... So, and I'll just kind of... This actually kind of relates to some stuff we'll talk in a bit about work. But when I lived in New Orleans and I knew I was going to leave after my, like, two-year teaching commitment, like, there was a part of me that just wanted to go to the Bay Area. Um, But I hadn't lived near my brother and my dad since my mom had died and there was a lot of anxiety I was having about not being near them and um and even though that year back in Boston was not like say the most fun for me it just by being with my brother and my dad and feeling like close to them and like just seeing them every day it it kind of freed me to leave Mm. And so I guess the way that I always think about the Ruby Slippers, it was like, I could always go home if I needed to. And it, it, it kind of actually, it was, it was almost like, I felt like I'd found my home here, but that I still had a connection back mm. home too. I don't know. Boston's got its, its own flavor <clears throat> that I just, I just personally don't care for, mm-hmm. but um, it's a diff- it's different flavor from here. Like I feel like here is 
warmer, like you're saying, and freak flags are flying everywhere, and it's not only accepted, it's celebrated, whereas there, it's kind of, there's... Yeah, it, it may, it's like, I'm, I think it is there in some ways, and, you know, I mean, just being one of the, like, most liberal, like, you know, and even Cambridge, I mean, growing up there, um, you know, I think the sort of... Um, like no tolerance for intolerance like there was a, a real like um you know and and the schools I went to were very progressive and you know my mom was like a human rights lawyer and like it was it, so I felt like that sort of feeling of like acceptance and and sort of um acceptance for all different types of people was very important but I think on here there's just it feels more tangible and um and also beyond just sort of thinking about it like on a like a race or ethnicity kind of level like kind of thinking about each person in their own way so you've arrived you got the ruby slippers (laughs) uh yeah walk us through um your 16 years here. I think my my job um, is a sort of bizarrely like perfect confluence of a lot of my skills, experience, like values in like a way that if you had told me 16 years ago that this job was going to exist, um, it's like kind of bizarre in some ways how things have sort of. It's like a skills and experience uh, salad. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Even though in some ways it looks like I've somewhat like created a career path that was like <laughs> nicely orchestrated, this was completely random. You know, I mean, I just like, I pretty much like all of my jobs here have been ones that I've like met somebody and where I've just connected with them and then it just worked. Yeah. I've like, that's, I think every job has been something basically through an informational interview or a project that like another job like you know kind of got born out of it um well you pitched me for reimagine literally in a hot tub (laughs) last year before last we'll get into that later but yeah yeah Uh, so um yeah so just reimagine it's a nonprofit um with a mission to create public discourse through um around like difficult topics but using the arts and kind of a, a festival um, model um, to, to get people to talk to each other and to break down taboos. Um, and we put on a festival called Reimagine End of Life, um, which uh, is a community-driven festival um, in that it's totally decentralized. Um, where we invite individuals and organizations to put on an event or create a project um, for this one week uh, that Reimagine happens all across the Bay Area. Um, so the one coming up is at the end of October, um, October 24th to November 3rd. Um, and what I do, I'm the program director, co-producer of the festival here. Um, and uh, so a lot of my job is like talking to people like you. <laughs> and um and and trying to figure out how they kind of fit into this conversation um and you know there's 
kind of our, our mission is, is both to kind of break down the taboos around death and dying and grief and loss and the isolation that happens because of that taboo. Um, but also, um, to inspire people to kind of embrace their mortality as a means to live a more fulfilling life and kind of appreciate the preciousness of it. And so, you know, so how did you go from working for real estate agents to doing yeah. that? <laughs> so, yeah, I know it's like really weird. So, um, and I'll say that, you know, the arts are a big part of reimagine because we see that as a gateway into this conversation for a lot of people. So my, my first job, as I said, out here was working at an art and music school down in Mountain View and uh, running art programs for kids. Um, one of my titles was birthday party coordinator. I yes. personally organized um, about 360 birthday parties over the Almost course. Almost a year's worth. <laughs> 360? Well, like, yeah, but it, was, it happened over the course of two years because most still, of them happened on the weekend. Yeah, it was a lot. A lot of I didn't have to actually teach all of them, most of them, but I coordinated. It was a lot of coordination. Um, and I ran these art camps and, you know, um, and this is an art and music school down in Mountain View called CSMA, Community School of Music and Arts. And um, it was like walking into the womb, I would say, working there. And it, it was, you know, most most of the people there were older than me. Like, you know, I was 25 or 26 at the time. And um, it was a lot of um, kind of moms. And uh, it let me like... I think both get really comfortable like in moving here and feeling kind of I had a built-in community because people are just so nice and interesting. I mean, I spent my day with artists and musicians, which is like pretty special, um, and teachers. I mean, to me, which is like kind of my people, like a, a mix of it. Um, and I was there for almost three years. And, you know, I think at that point I got kind of antsy. Um, but actually while I was there, I started writing a a screenplay actually which is sort of just comp the kind of first sort of um like a kind of 1980s rom-com with one of my friends there um and uh yeah and actually started writing short bits while I was there but not actually with any idea that I would actually perform it was just sort of like happened to me where I started writing things um and I didn't even watch very much stand-up I mean I always watched SNL and stuff like that but it just kind of was like this weird thing where that was the way my brain worked and um and my background by the way is in visual arts so in college I studied um mainly photography and sculpture um and anyways when I was kind of like knew I wanted to move I was getting antsy in jobs um I really wanted to get my Spanish back up so um I ended up uh moving to Costa Rica for three months okay um and uh, it's lovely yeah um, and uh, volunteering with a community organization teaching art and photography. Um, and that was lovely. Um, but that was actually, I thought it was going to be like studying abroad in college where I kind of just like went and I had no, I don't know, I wasn't homesick at all. I just like went. And that was my first kind of moment when I realized how attached I was to San Francisco and the Bay. And it was like, I was actually so surprised um, how much I missed it. And in three months. In three months. Oh, yeah, in the first month. I just remember, I was like, you know, and I was having a good time. It wasn't 
bad. It just, it was like, oh, I'm kind of settled. Like that feeling of being settled because I never... Or anchored. Is that a Mm -hmm. fair? Yeah. Anchored. Yeah. It just was like, I miss my people. I just, you know, I think I just hadn't realized how attached I was. Um, So I, you know, when I came back, it was like really reinforced my feelings. Um, And um, I knew that I wanted to get a job in San Francisco versus um, Mountain View. That was like, I didn't look at anything else outside of San Francisco. Yeah. Limit, limit search. Yeah. 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 No, I remember um, this, yeah. And, uh, I will just say, so when I moved back, I, um, the highlight of my unemployment while I was looking for a job, but, um, I, um, was living in Potrero Hill at the time and, um, a movie company came by because they were filming, um, seven year itch or not the seven year it was the movie about um with ben stiller and he like marries this woman um very quickly and they go down to mexico and ends up being a disaster anyways it was filmed in the bay or in san francisco and i they were like they wanted to start filming early and i was like well can you make me an extra and he was like well no we really just use professional extras and i was like yeah but i was like i'm really good and I just kept on chatting him up. And he was like, okay, I'll put you in touch with the casting company. And I got in. And it was me and all professional extras. So the best part was that during lunchtime, because I was like the one that was like not like them, it was like, and I was just so intri- you know, intrigued by it and all of these things. Um, they just, all of me, all of them told me like, scenes where their face appeared in movies right. so going through their resumes <laughs> resumes the of like it was like oh yeah you can see me around like minute 28 in the rock and like all these like you know san francisco films right they're local professional mm-hmm. extras yeah and i will just say in this movie which i maybe i'll look up so later i can make sure i give you the right name i my toy 1996 toyota camry is the opening shot driving driving through like 18th and Missouri like going up was it you driving it yes which I'll just say was unfortunate because you don't see my face but you get to see my car the one you just told me about yeah that died so now it's like you know it's I can whenever I miss it I can go look at the movie that was Dara Kosberg check back Thursday for part two when Dara will share stories of how she came to work around end-of-life issues. Music for the podcast is by Otis McDonald. Film photography is by Michelle Kilfeather. You can find all our episodes over on our website, storiedsf.com. While you're there, please help support what we do by going to our store page and choosing from several different pledge levels. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can subscribe on our YouTube channel. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show. And if you have any feedback or potential guests for us, our email is storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>